Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 224, episode one of Your Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. It's a podcast, this one, where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Monday, February 14th, 2022, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to one and all. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. He makes his money off tragedy. Yeah, he's a selling 9-11 tees. Oh, he's an old grifter. Way out of line. Giuliani. That is courtesy of Rumham McDuck. Rumham McDuck. Two AKs in uh, in the span of a week. Well done. Good callback to the great Rudy Giuliani and his 9-11 t-shirts that he was selling for, I believe, nine hundred and eleven dollars to, to wow. try and raise to try and raise money for his legal fees. Anyways, wow. I'm thrilled to be joined by today's special guest co-host, a producer hey. behind shows like Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Mm. Welcome to our show. You've yes. heard her on Pop Culture Happy Hour and read her at Vulture, the AV Club, Team Vogue Pace, many more. She is the brilliant and talented Joelle Monique! AKA the purple lipstick Don, the four loco survivor, and the marble <laughs> defender. Yes. Purple lipstick Don. Yes, yes. We're back. We're ready. Happy mm. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you, too, speaking of. For loco, which is, I think, the traditional <laughs> beverage of uh, Valentine's Day, at least in, in this Valentine. household. Uh, <laughs> you don't, you want to have a good time. You don't want to remember it, is my... Right, uh, exactly. Yeah. No. Joelle, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a very funny TV writer for animated shows such as Sonic Boom, Unikitty, the upcoming Transformers, BotBots, and the award-winning short, The Accomplice. Please welcome the very funny, the very talented, Greg But Hey, thanks for having me, guys. What's up, man? Hi, Greg. That's me, a.k.a. I did not prepare and also known as... That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. You don't. You don't have to do that. I. I have had one, and my brother's a producer on the show, and he was like, "Do you maybe want to come up with some more?" And I was like, "That's a good Aww. idea." Yeah. Justin. Yeah. Justin, leave Joe alone. No, oh. no, he's producing. He's doing <laughs> his true. fucking That's job. That's true. Okay. He was like, they miss Miles. I was trying to give the fans a shout out who Joelle did not credit for her AKAs, by the way. So oh, I was trying wow. to she got them out of Discord and she was supposed well, to. Well, no, I looked at the Discord and saw what they were talking about and then okay. I made them up myself. So oh, listen, okay. it's a team Talk effort. That's how we got here. We're all together now. Which is Greg, are you coming from the Ninja Turtles? Headquarters. In uh, that is my backdrop today on Zoom. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Correct. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's just a backdrop. It doesn't smell as bad as I imagine it does normally for the Ninja Turtles. Do they ever comment pepperoni on that? and video game sweats? Perfect. And Perfect sewage, smells. right? Just raw yeah. sewage. Raw. We sewage. don't talk about that. It's just <laughs> candles. It's like Bruno. It's over there. It's not in our forefront of our heads. I love it. Right. It's a good good hangout spot. It's not bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is a it is a fun background. You're telling me it's only a Zoom background. It's not an actual. No, I don't live in a sewer. Uh, <laughs> not right. currently, at least. I didn't know. <laughs> Let's hope it stays You work that way. in animation. I didn't know if you actually lived in an animated world or what we were working with here, Roger Rabbit style. No, but, but working in ima- in animation, sometimes I worry that I might end up having to live in the sewer. But I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> well, let's talk later. about it. Okay. Let, yeah, let's let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's happening? in the world of animation we've well talked about if it a little you bit. if you've been paying attention on twitter or i guess you have maybe you have to be in the same circles as i but currently going on and starting again today the animation guild is going back into negotiations with the amptp the association of motion picture and television producers yes. and uh this is a good thing it gives us a chance to kind of fight for more money and 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 and, you know, just get a better deal overall. And, you know, I'm not here in any official capacity. I'm not on the negotiating uh, negotiations team. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not an elected official in the guild. I'm just an engaged member active in the writer's community. And I was looking at my paychecks and I was looking around at my colleagues and frankly wondering mm. why so many of us who were actively working as writers and in other places in the industry we're kind of still struggling to get out of our like one bedroom apartments and like, why, right. why are we still in this position? And so, you know, I, I wanted to help out in, in any way I can. So I thought, you know, how can I contribute? And I, you know, so I started like making some memes and contributing in the dumbest way possible that could still help spread the word. And that's just kind of part of the campaign that has turned into hashtag pay animation writers and hashtag new deal for animation. Yeah, and so, yeah. uh, yeah, that's what I'm here to discuss. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, not awesome that, no, you're, well, no. <laughs> that you're in the position you're in, but very yeah. cool that you guys are doing something about it. I think it's come up a couple of times on Zeitgeist before, like just in passing. I think we talked about the fact that one of like the writer of was it, it it was one of the classic disney films that made billions of dollars maybe mm-hmm. aladdin maybe lion king yeah. like i think they got paid in pizza like they they did not like they they are not living in a mansion somewhere they spent like 4 years writing and rewriting the script for disney and got like a lump sum and they're like all right and we'll sometimes credit you goodbye yeah i can't be 100% sure i think it's lion king you're talking about and i feel like yeah. the writers were they weren't you know they weren't wga they were maybe in tag and they weren't getting quite a great rate and then you know, The Lion King's been remade practically shot for shot in a live action Right, form. that's why it came and, up, yeah. And those and the, whoever wrote that is getting, like, bank compared to the person who wrote the original material that everybody knows and loves, and it's the reason why another one was even made. So, sure. yeah, these are the kind of struggles that are, that are going on. Yeah. I mean, it's wild to me that we have this problem in animation, particularly when you consider about jobs that are, like, one-to-one in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like, writing an animated feature is no different than writing a live action feature and yet the the price disparity between those writers is huge it's like phenomenal and trying to wrap our minds around that and then when you get into the artists of it all you know if you are outside the pixar bubble like it's really a struggle yeah yeah it's it's pretty crazy and you know yeah i mean the numbers are massively different you know and like you said like a 30 minute script the written by you know for an animated show 
versus a 30-minute script written for a live-action show, that's the same number of pages. That's the same amount of work, except one gets paid significantly less. A, a live-action, compared with live-action, an animation freelance script gets 26 to 66% less than a live-action script. Like, it's a huge disparity. Right. 60%? Oh, my Lord. Yeah, and it only makes sense for the purposes of, you know, CEOs and massive corporations keeping their bottom line. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because yeah, it has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with like the the revenue that any of these things are pulling in. You know, like what what has made historically more money over time? Is it SpongeBob and Transformers and Ninja Turtles? Or, you know, I'm just gonna pick on some shows from the eighties, so I'm not picking on anybody current. You know, like what is Remington Steel or Jag or uh, Pacific Blue, you know, like those aren't pulling in the same kind of money in the long term as a SpongeBob SquarePants, which is like the number one most binged show on Paramount Plus. Well, if they would pick up my Remington Steel reboot that I've been <laughs> shopping, then maybe they would start making some money. They yeah. should. They should. Yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> is there like a standard explanation for why the difference in price? Like, is there is there something the industry comes back and be like, well, X, Y, Z, you guys uh, are different. Yeah, I mean, part of it is like the, the union that we're in. We're not part of the WGA. So like it was a different contract initially. I don't want to get into the semantics of all of that. Sure, sure. But basically, like there, we need to close the gap on that parity between the two because it really just doesn't make sense. You know, I always wanted to write. I mean, like, I always wanted to write for cartoons. As a kid, you know, a nine-year-old me would be ecstatic to learn I've written for characters like Sonic the Hedgehog or the Transformers, but nine-year-old me also thought I'd own a house one day. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, kid self. (laughs) I'm very excited to be talking to somebody who wrote for the Transformers. When we say bedtime prayers at night, my my three-year-old's standard bedtime prayer is that he have cool Transformer dreams. So (laughs) this is big. I'm going to be bragging about it to him and not in a nice way, like really rubbing it in his face (laughs) uh, when he gets home from preschool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. We're going to talk. This kind of leads nicely into our first story, uh, which we're going to get to after we get to know you a little bit better. Sure. But. Yeah, I mean, the the first story we have on the dock is like inflation Mm -hmm. and the like. The standard narrative in the media, like, is like economists are saying, oh, it's because of all these, you know, the pandemic disrupted the supply chain and all all these various things. But Dr. Lindsay Owens, who is the executive director of Groundwork Collaborative, is pointing out that if you listen to their earnings calls, it just sounds like they are raising prices because they can and making record profits. Like they're making more money than they've ever made before during a global pandemic because they can. And it just, I feel like this is all part of the same sort of system that we're talking about where, mm. you know, like we talk a lot of shit on capitalism on this podcast, but it's not yeah. like like all the all the, you know, things that are supposed to happen in capitalism that are supposed to be like checks and balances and like, well, if like one company decides to raise prices, that's bad for them because the other companies will come in and, you know, offer the same thing for lower. Like that shit isn't happening anymore because 
like the corporations have all the powers and they haven't been checked in terms of like monopolies. So we're, we'll, we'll get into all that shit in the second act. That's going to be fun. We're going to maybe get to <laughs> what is happening at military bases because it's a very mysterious, like mm. bunch of crime. A very mysterious bunch of crime, a new (laughs) true crime podcast. We're going to talk about the fact that it is Valentine's Day, which, according to Gordon Ramsay and me, after 14 years of being married and going out to dinner (laughs) on Valentine's Day, is the worst day to go out to dinner uh, of the 365 options available to us. So talk about why that is, uh, why it's still sometimes fun. And whether it's cool to sit on the same side of the table with somebody that you are on a date Hot topic. Hot topic. Maybe uh, I'd also like to get you guys' thoughts on the best non-traditional romantic movies. Fucking ready. Around Christmas, there's always the, damn, okay. Uh, I did kind of spring that on you. And like, I added that to the doc five minutes before we started recording. I was a little worried. And then I was like, oh, never mind. It's Joelle. I got this locked and loaded. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like around Christmas, everyone's like, Die Hard's actually my favorite Christmas movie. I say that, so I don't know why I made it that so- person sound <laughs> like an asshole. But the, you know, what what is the equivalent in Valentine's Day? Like, what's the romantic movie that's not overtly classic rom-com? So we'll talk about that plenty more. But before we get to any of that, Greg, we yeah. like to get to know our guests by asking them, what is something from your search history? Search history. All right, I'm going to start in a weird place, guys. We're going we're going real deep cuts. So I I love going to the flea market. My wife and I go to the flea market. I'm a big toy collector, so I like to find like old, you know, vintage retro stuff from my childhood that Ooh. I can get, you know, for for pretty cheap though. Recently I went to the flea market the other week. I only spent 10 bucks and I walked away with some cool stuff, including something called Snailians. I don't know if either of you remember no. what Snailians is at all, but this is what I I did <laughs> a Google search like, for recently. This sounds like one of the bad pitches from the movie Big, like the scenes where they're like in the toy boardroom and like one of the out of touch middle aged people is like, what about like aliens that are snails? Yeah. Uh, or I think it was like robot buildings was one of the ones that. Yeah, it was, was a building that transformed Josh into a robot. Baskin had to shoot down Snailians. I, I still think I'm that robot. My building would have been a great toy, but yeah, uh, but Snailian. So here's the Snailian that I bought. You can see on the uh, and the visual medium that we're all uh, listening to. Yes, but I can't uh, really. It looked like a small malformed wolf person, dog person. They're horrifying to look at. Yeah, a little yellow dude, a little rubber thing. But so the Snailians were a line of toys that was. It was these Snailians from outer space. They moved. They they flew down to Earth and and settled down in Snail Francisco, and and they fight against the evil lunatics. And the thing about them is they're basically another one of those Ninja Turtle ripoffs. So each of the characters, you know, the Ninja Turtles are named after famous painters: Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael. The Snailians are are all named for presidents. So it's Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. <laughs> And then if you like look at the <laughs> if you wow. look at the art on like the the packaging that I've stumbled upon through my Google search, they even do this shot where like all of them are standing heroically and then they mm-hmm. have the coins for you know, there's like there's like a quarter, a nickel, <laughs> a dime, and a penny that they're just standing so proudly in front of. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't wow. I, I don't know what more to say about the snailians, but this does say something about me that this this is something I spent significant time looking into. I mean, and yeah. There, there is a VR video game on Steam called Snailians. Yes, unrelated. Apparently, Unrelated. It's, okay, okay. Uh, I was like, did somebody revive this? <laughs> no, yes. That of no, course okay. I, I stumbled upon that in my Google search as well. But no, that's that that is unrelated. So there's a little okay. uh there's a little yeah. peek into my Google search history. Yeah, that, that picture <laughs> that you were describing, I found it on one of the first Snailians search results and mm-hmm. it's on a single web page that it has just combined all the text and pictures on a single like a like a word document. <laughs> yeah. First <laughs> sentence first sentence on, on the page. So it says Snailians like it's the title of a uh, term paper. Yeah. And it says, I've been running this sad little website since early 2001. It's like, damn. All right. <laughs> you got me. Uh, Greg, they do not appear to be snails is my is my No. First well, they came note. they initially came with some sort of armor that I guess makes them more yeah, snail like. But uh, it does not. But it looks cool as hell. It's yeah. like almost as tacky because they're still bipedal, which makes mm-hmm. no sense for a snail. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and I guess their squishy bodies are the snail part. And then the armor is, quote unquote, the shell. It doesn't have a nice swirl pattern on it. Mm. Again, I think a miss from the, the design team. Yeah. But yeah. it does look cool. It's like Aztec meets Transformers armor. Yeah. But so they are lying to consumers to convince them that these creatures are the slowest animal like that kids know about basically I, like I, I mean i doubt that that was a push like oh they're really slow like i don't know <laughs> i don't know what it is about snails that they thought explicitly appealed to kids but like you said they they apparently ignored it entirely right so it just had, they had a sort of good name that was catchy and they were like let's roll with it yeah. Was the plan to eventually make an animated television show? Because I feel like that's what a lot of yeah. I'm the toy sure. groups were back in the day. Damn, we really missed out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think it would have been good, but I do think it would have been great to make fun of. It would have been something. And, uh, I, I would kill to write the Snailians TV show. Oh, yeah. yeah. You guys heard Greg. <laughs> Hire him now. Salt has to be like... Figure into this in some way, right? Like the evil salt monster, the evil salt truck, or something. Yeah. (laughs) If the lunar ticks had, uh, yeah, salt guns that fired on them, I mean, that would that would be horrifying. We've seen what salt can do to these things. Yeah, every kid has (laughs) seen that. Man, I just really want to be at the pitch session where this got greenlit. (laughs) It sounds. Amazing. They, yeah. Where where was Josh Baskin when you needed him? <laughs> what is something you think is overrated, Greg? Ah, man, I don't want to talk about toys all day, but I but I'm going to. Get the it. the Funko Pop vinyls. I okay. You Whoa, guys shots fired. Oh, shots, shots fired. Shots oh, fired. Well, this is everybody's oh, favorite. Everybody's favorite toy. I guess I I understand the the charm of having one toy with one aesthetic, and you can get every line of everything so they all look nice next to each other but i don't want my toys extra deep i I mean i don't want them like cute and adorable and and Mm. and i want them extra detailed and craggy and pustulating or or alternatively i like really cheap poorly made stupid things but snail snail based things but (laughs) yeah i don't know They're, they're they're too cute for me and i everybody loves them and i just go like that doesn't appeal to me I don't want something adorable. I want something that 
that looks like it it was from a horror movie. I totally respect that. And I would say that they are not toys. Like, I don't know who's... Right. Like, to me, a toy's got to inspire imagination and storytelling and all of that. Like, you want to, like, take it down and, like, pose it or something. And it has none of those capabilities. Sure. It is, to your point, it is specifically designed just to be cute as a person who like i'm super into character i don't know if you can see on my back wall those are a lot of my portraits of some of my favorite animated characters um grogu Catwoman. but i think i i like pop fungos because they look nice in my collections you know mm-hmm. i have a bunch of Ironheart riri stuff and then there she's right, right in there and it's all like cute and packaged it, just from a design i don't understand the people who keep them in boxes and then just have rows and rows of boxes of Pop Funkos. Yeah. Um, you can't see them. They're not on display. They come with cute little stands so that you can easily display them. I feel like they're like 90s meaning babies. Put them all over yeah. your desk and show a little bit about your personality. Highlight what characters you like. Good conversation starters. But mm-hmm. yeah, to your point, definitely not a toy. And these are these are a valuable toy, it, it would appear. Like there are, they, they trade, It right? varies. Like, it varies. Okay. There are some yeah. that are probably very worthless. They, I mean, they make them for literally every franchise and IP you can imagine. So yeah. I think that's the appeal, really. I get that. Mm-hmm. But, I'm but looking look. at the list of the most valuable uh, as of 2021. Ooh, what do we Ale- got? Alex DeLarge, Clockwork Orange Funko. <laughs> really? I'm disappointed in us as a society. What an adorable little rapist. I know. I've always (laughs) said, like, somebody needs to bring out how adorable this character is. And finally. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Got your Jamie Jamie Lannister, your Dumbo was a was a valuable one for a little while. Okay. Yeah, they they seem very collector oriented and not very toy oriented. What yeah, is like yeah. the, what is the most valuable toy other than Beanie Babies, which I, kn- I know we can all agree Ooh. are never going down in value. And my children's entire education is based in Beanie Baby investments. But besides that, <laughs> what's valuable these days? Uh, I, you know, that's a good question. I, I I'm not entirely sure. I, I'll tell you one that I know is particularly valuable. The 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 Kenner Star Wars original 19. 19- 80s Boba Fett figure that came out was, you know, released in very limited quality quantities, uh, rather. And so that one has like a a big following. I don't know that it's the most expensive toy, right. but it's certainly one that I know goes for a, a pretty high price tag because of Damn. the nostalgia of it being like almost the first thing that made Boba Fett popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Yeah. Between that and the Christmas special, for mm-hmm. sure. It makes sense because that was like a character that they didn't do enough with, but it was like so by creating a fan uh, an action figure, you were like doing the first fan fiction or like not mm-hmm. the first fan fiction, but like you you were letting children do their own bad little fan fiction stories and it like kind of grew from there. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's great. I also know that the Transformers toys like the early ones, you can fetch a high price and then now even some of the detailed new constructions of them go for quite a lot it's like my friend got me into uh like he collects transformers toys mm-hmm. and uh, like anime bust figures basically and different and i was like that is a whole world i had no 
idea about. It's wild to me the accuracy of the detail and the money yeah. spent. But then when you see someone's full display case, it's a little bit impressive. You're like, wow, this is it's art. It's like collectible art, but in your favorite fandom. And I can dig it. Yeah. I like it. I feel like Transformers highest form is the toy. Like they are mm. like they are they are toys that then have movie and i haven't seen the animated show greg that you wrote for so maybe yeah. i will change my tune but <laughs> like that that it's so amazing to have a toy that can transform between robot and like vehicle and if they like nail the making of the toy like that's so amazing anyways great great insight for me there <laughs> uh greg what's something you think is underrated underrated okay here i'm going out on a limb here i'm gonna say buttered noodles you know, I think I think everybody wants to give a lot. You know, you give credit to the, you know, a, a marinara or a, or a vodka sauce or a carbonara. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's your go to in your head when you're thinking about pasta. But when you just take a little bit of butter, maybe throw in some grilled onions. If you're making like a bone in chicken, you add a little schmaltz into that. Top mm -hmm. it with some Parmesan. That's that's like really good food that's like really easy to do and isn't a whole it's not a whole headache in the kitchen you can just kind of like toss it together and suddenly that's a that's a top quality side dish or whole dish right so it brings <laughs> out controversial the flavor. i know no it is kind of <laughs> controversial it's like not controversial with young children i think young children no, they tend fucking to love that shit. Sure. love a buttered noodle it really I, I think of it as like too bland for me. I'm a real I'm a real tomato bitch. I love oh, I mean, I tomato love sauce. Yeah. I love tomato salsa. But yeah, I, I've never been into the buttered noodles because it tastes too much like noodles to me and not not enough like I don't know what I have associated pasta with, which is the marinara sauce. But that's... maybe that's the key to the greatness of buttered noodles, is it's mm. like this is the base of the dish, right? Like, technically, yeah. you're showing up for spaghetti, and you've associated it with the marinara on top, but the noodles should be the highlight yeah. of that dish. And then to get more into, like, like, I've recently really gotten into ramen, and I'm, like, reading recipes on how to make it from scratch mm -hmm. and stuff, and, like, there's so much technique in a noodle and create like crafting it, you know, what kind of flour, what kind of grind on that flour, how long are you mixing it at what temperature that I think if, if you get a quality noodle and you're just tasting it with just a little bit of butter, you're really putting that noodle like on a pedestal and asking people to taste just that noodle. And I could see I could see where that would be like, you know, this is the highlight, like really experience mm. and enjoy this part of the dish that typically you're just trying to get through. OK, I see it. Yeah. Are you putting high quality like noodle in into a buttered noodle dish? No, I'm saying you get you get some egg noodles and then you just <laughs> okay. you just get some like grilled onions, you mix that in and suddenly parmesan on top and you've got you've got something more than just a butter noodle, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think I think yeah. All right. But controversial Highly we'll controversial, be hearing from our listeners maybe more than any guest we've ever had sure but <laughs> no. uh, all right let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll talk about inflation and valentine's day and we're back 
And yeah, a lot on uh, record inflation these past couple months and the standard media economist narrative seems to be that it's a, a number of factors, but they always end up pointing back to that the government just gave you guys too much dang money for your own good. And now oh we, we have to just charge you all this, all these high prices. And that that doesn't fully make sense to me because not even a little bit. That's not how, right? Like you're supposed, there's supposed to be competition in a in a market, if you will. Like that, that's supposed to be a thing that you can't just do just because you you want to. Mm -hmm. And that that appears to be what's happening. So this Dr. Lindsay Owens, executive director of Groundwork Collaborative, um, which is dedicated to advancing progressive economic ideas actually did the work of going and listening to earnings calls, which if you're not familiar, like every public company has to every quarter, you know, reveal their information to investors. And then they have a call where people can then ask them questions. And this is where you're going to get some honesty, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, people want to know what's really going on, what's driving the the numbers they're seeing and whether they should stay invested, all that all that fun stuff. And so she looked at these and she was like, oh, they just decided to charge more money and in in exchange got record profits. Like they're they're making more money than they've ever made at this time when we're, inflation is supposed to be out of control. So some examples she pulled, the, the company 3M, which produces N95 masks and other things, crowed on its earnings call that the team has done a marvelous job in driving price. Price has gone up from 0.1% to 1.4 to 2.6%. We see that to be a tailwind. Jeez, I'm going to so, I'm going to just stop. I'm going to look for my look elsewhere for my double-sided sticky tape mounting hooks or something. Right? Come yeah, on. Let's go. I'm going to Come Scotch on, 3M. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they like own them, too. That's yeah, the other yeah. problem is that like there's mm -hmm. so much consolidation that you can do this if you are just a massively powerful major corporation in a industry. You can just be like, all right, we're going to raise the prices and that will either, you know, put pressure on our competitors to raise the prices so they can keep up with our record breaking profits or the you know the company will try and undercut us but somehow that's not happening we don't know why weird tyson <laughs> one of the big four meat monopolies that biden is targeting for fix price fixing which is supposed to be illegal i'm pretty sure mm -hmm. but i not not a huge scandal for some reason because it's a massive corporation doing the robbing at a high level of people and so nobody like the American media and just like public is not it, it feels incapable of having the story of meat monopolies price fixing become like a craze. Like it just seems like the sort of thing that the media will ignore the shit out of because they it's just like they're they don't do that. They don't give a fuck. Like, but Tyson just... has us in such a chokehold. Like, if you think about if if you're on a low income, like Tyson's probably the most yeah. affordable meat product that you can buy. And it's 
every goddamn where. Like, including, like, I think McDonald's uses Tyson chicken as well. Like, there's, it's everywhere. It's impossible to escape. And on top of that, Tyson <laughs> has a lot of nerve, like, price gouging us when the way it treats its workers has been on blast for so long. Yeah. Just completely inhospitable conditions, long hours, horrible, egregious, like, wounds and accidents happening on site. That it's it does seem like they're kind of moving in plain sight and are just kind of gangsters about it. Not well, to give them any kind of flair, but they're just like, you just have to deal with this. You're going to keep paying us right. for this product. So just effing deal with it. I mean, that's the it, that seems to be the entire model, though, with every one of these is that they are, you know, after the 2008 financial crisis, like when the banking sector fucked up as bad as a sector can and got out of it Mm. with like still getting their annual bonuses while people were like being driven into like not having homes like i they are not dumb they paid attention to that and now like it's just it really feels like that part of the civilization is just out of control and knows that they like don't don't have to do shit that they don't want to do and so in the case of Tyson, they saw their profits nearly double after price hikes of 32 oh, percent on beef and 20 percent on chicken, which the CEO attributed to the, quote, continued resilience of our multi-protein portfolio. <laughs> That's I think crazy. It's, it, it is. But it's also like if you step back to it, like so. If you look at the the corporateness of it all, or like look at these giant corporate monsters making so much money and devaluing human life, and it's awful. If we look at the human condition of it, the idea that there are individual people actively engaged in doing this, right? I think there's something about like the corporate structure that just has to be dismantled from the outside because mm-hmm. all they're doing is their job, right? It's such tunnel vision. Like, my job is to figure out how much we can make off this product. And if we can make more, then I'm rewarded for that. And I keep my family and money and we're good. Like, and and because these companies are so large and so disconnected from, especially the higher up you go, the more you're disconnected from the people at the bottom of your company, the less, like, actively engaged you are in the pain that's being caused. And I think having that emotional distance allows you to keep, like, chugging along in this in this way that allows you to abuse so many people and i think like i've started to see it yes in my own grocery bill but also in like watching people tweet out like previous grocery bills to their current grocery bills has been like a little bit yeah, horrific you know yeah. The, yeah 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 especially you see like single moms being like i'm not buying anything else <laughs> there's no additional things being purchased and i'm paying 50 dollars more a week to feed my children that's money out of rent or prescription pills or whatever it happens to be that they need that week. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know what gets to them to make them change that structure. Yeah. It makes you look at the inflation that we're all seeing and going like, how much of this is inflation? How much of this is based on, you know, the problems going on with the, you know, COVID and, and, you know, that whole thing. And how much of it is just some greedy CEO dragons sitting at the top, hoarding the money. And, and, and that seems to be what's happening here. Yeah, ever since that one dude, the prescription pill guy, got busted for raising prices like, I don't know, 112% or whatever he decided to do, I feel like they've gotten craftier 
Like they're really, you know, mm-hmm. as you just read, Jack, they're like, oh, like that 1.4 to two and a half percent. That's really great for us. And we'll just if we keep doing it and that, you know, the frog in the boiling water style, then maybe no one will notice. Or if they do notice, it, it'll be too little for them to care. But they're no more greedy than CEOs from past decades. They they're sure like they've been trying to do this sort of thing for years, for centuries. They tried to overthrow FDR. <laughs> they they like got a, a, a <laughs> American did. general to like be part of what was called the business plot, tried to overthrow mm-hmm. FDR and it didn't work out. But like that's the sort of like they just want as much money as they can possibly get because that is sort of a corp- corporation working in its normal form like that that's what they're built to do but the system does has not provided the pushback in any real way for decades now and yeah they're they've realized like oh and we can get away with just lying in the mainstream media or because the mainstream media are all owned by massive corporations like they just nobody's gonna say shit we can just do like at a time when more people are in a desperate situation than, you know, in the last hundred years, they've been price gouging because Americans got like a $2,000 check like one time. They're, they're like, well, we're going to just soak that money up real quick. But you also saw families consolidating, you know, whether that meant we're all going to go live under the same roof or, you know, or we're giving up our second homes and like whatever it was, leaving our apartments in New York to go back to our, our familial homes. I think that there was a lot more uh, for the first time. Americans had like a little bit of like a slush fund or, or at least a little bit more than they had to spend before. It doesn't surprise me that they took advantage of that. And it especially doesn't surprise me when we consider that these people are no longer. And by these people, I mean like government officials no longer need to work for the individuals that vote for them. They just need to work for the corporations that are paying them enough money to create larger like visual campaigns, you know, can I say the right the the right things to get my side, whether you're Republican or Democrat, to to acknowledge me, and then do I have enough money to outdo commercials? Yeah. And is my marketing team better than yours? Like, there's no, they don't have to serve us directly. And while I think that there are definitely some individuals, you know, both in Congress and in Senate, who have their their communities at heart and and are trying to make, you know, quality changes, I also think that the dollar is so insurmountable. I just don't know what people will care over, you know, you need this dollar to survive and having more dollars means you're more likely to survive. I just don't know how we, you know, as a country, as a community, get over that, you know, or try to move past it or or try to change that. Our money means everything to us. It's the only way we're going to make it. Speaking as someone who used to have no money at all, it's just, I... Yeah, I think it's going to have to implode first. I think it's going to have to implode because I don't see anyone giving that up. Yeah. And I I mean, like Biden has put the blame for inflation. Like he has said the things that we're saying now and it's been ignored. It's been, you know, explained away by economists and by the mainstream media. And it's just... You know, there, there's like many examples of this, by the way. Uh, Johnson & Johnson talked about raising prices despite raking in billions from the COVID vaccine. And their CEO specifically like talked about their model being address suffering and death. 
And that's why J&J's optimism and opportunity for its future is so bright. So it's... (laughs) Woo, that's dark. Yeah. (laughs) It is dark. People are dying, so we've got a very bright future. Especially if you can just charge whatever the fuck you want and nobody's going to get mad. Like, that... it's, it's not it's great. Truly, it's not great. Yeah. I was at the Dollar King the other day. Everything was a dollar fifty one. Yeah, <laughs> we got to take down the Dollar King at the yeah. Top. That's that's where right. that's where it all boils down to. Yeah, but the mainstream media <laughs> is is willing to blame the stimulus being too much, supply disruption, which the supply chain problems. Like we, I there were definitely like temporary supply chain problems. Yeah. I, I think the car cars you're still seeing it mm. like i have friends who are trying to buy cars and like that industry is still having major supply issues but for the most part like there wasn't a significant period of time where like grocery shelves were empty or anything like the to act like that is the reason that they had to raise prices i mean like even regardless of that the the fact that they're making record profits at this time that we're all supposed to be kind of struggling and scrapping is all you need to know really like yeah. it's mm-hmm. right anyways so no answers here but it is no. very frustrating and it's, sorry listeners <laughs> yeah. we thought we could report. solve it today but yeah just didn't just come a little to beyond us, us. I, I had a feeling we <laughs> thought we had this one all right let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk valentine's day and we're back and okay so something i had always suspected based on many years of going out to dinner on Valentine's Day and the food and service and every every aspect of it being bad was confirmed for me by um, Gordon Ramsay. So Mm. Gordon Ramsay says Valentine's Day is the worst. He said this like, you know, not at Valentine's Day. It wasn't an interview about Valentine's Day. It was just (laughs) him being like, oh, you want to know the worst day? Well, that, of course, is Valentine's Day. It's the worst day of the year to go out. Busy kitchens with tons of diners means you don't get the true feeling of the restaurant. And then, I think unnecessary, adds this part. You should be cooking on Valentine's. Oh, yeah? Maybe you should be <laughs> cooking, Gordon Ramsay. I mean, that's the height of romance to Gordon Ramsay. Is like, right. you know, like, have you ever seen his, like, solo cooking show where he's just, like, showing you how to cook basic dishes? Mm-hmm. Right. And a space that kind of looks like his home? He loves that. He's like, no, look at this fold in this egg. It's beautiful. He's really, you have to love it. He's just so passionate <laughs> about yeah. it. And I think his, that's his expression. That's his love language. Jack is just, let me just make you something delicious. It takes sure. me, when I, when I do one of those recipes where it's like, okay, and this is a 30 minute prep time, like that is three and a half hours <laughs> and I am exhausted by the end of it. Like I don't, it just does not agree with me. My brain doesn't work in the kitchen with that sort of thing. My wife ends up being annoyed because it takes so long and we eat <laughs> like by the time we're eating, it's not Valentine's Day anymore. It's like oh, two no. in the morning. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but okay, according to the National Restaurant Association, Ramsey is right that this is the busiest day for restaurants. Twenty five percent of the American population dines out on Valentine's Day. So that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. Than I would have yeah. thought. If you, as long as you're not putting pressure on the meal and the experience to be anything but entertaining, like go for it. But don't, 
don't expect it to be a nice experience other than like maybe a fun people watching experience. Yeah, because there is this this pressure on Valentine's Day, especially if you, you know, you if you don't make a reservation, I'm sure you're you're kind of screwed over. But like, you know, waiting around in the restaurant and there's like there's it's just so crowded and there are people there. And, and and it's louder than usual. And like, I don't want to be around that. I, I got to agree with Gordo here. I'm I'm happy to put on an apron and grill up something nice just a couple days in advance, buy, buy something I normally wouldn't buy. And instead of paying the, the $60 price tag on a filet mignon, I, you know, I spent like 15, 20 bucks on two of them. And then I could grill them up myself, uh, saute some asparagus, bing, bang, boom, Valentine's Day dinner. Not if that's a Tyson steak, by the way. Uh, It's not going to be $15 anymore. It's going to be $60 if you're lucky. Uh, (laughs) They just heard you say that, and they were like, ha, ha, ha. Crank it up. It's actually going to be much more. Yeah. Yeah. I think also you can avoid being around other people, which to me is way more romantic. Waiting in line, not romantic. Dealing with annoyed waiters, no romance there. Yeah. Uh, having to watch like 80 people propose while you're like <laughs> just trying to chill. I'm and tired have of a, clapping like, for you people. <laughs> it's like, great, another one. So good. Yeah. And the food's definitely going to be subpar. It's, yeah. it's yeah. there's You're going to su- sacrifice uh, speed for art in the kitchen. Stay home. Yeah. Stay yeah. home. Compare that with putting on an apron and nothing else. What's hey. more romantic? <laughs> Greg gets it. Yeah. So on the people watching front, my my favorite Valentine's Day meal that we ever had, I got reservations well in advance, took my wife to a fancy restaurant on Valentine's Day out here in L.A. and got a front row view of Kevin Nealon and his wife on a date together, dressed very nicely Whoa. With Adam Sandler tagging along, and he oh, was in no. a hockey jersey <laughs> for some reason. Like he was just Amazing. like, "Yeah, I'll come too." <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, now third wheel on Valentine's on Valentine's Day, Day. Oh. as a perpetually single lass, I'm not vibing with it. I'm sure He's also he was married like, with kids. <laughs> and you just see him like, <laughs> "What was happening that day?" I don't oh, know. No. He's like, "Oh shit, I forgot." <laughs> I would say maybe his gift was to his wife to be like, listen, you can have a little space for me today. Yeah. You just here's some alone time. The kids have a babysitter. I'll be out. You just relax, babe. That's romantic. But uh, so speaking of people watching and the view when you are eating at restaurants, the the takeout Mm -hmm. has a breakdown of whether it's weird to sit side by side on a date rather than across from one another. I am of the opinion that it is weird and also who gives a shit like I'm I'm into it. <laughs> those are those are both good takes. It is, it is strange for like who really cares. I guess there's this weird, you know, feeling of if, if there's an empty side of the table like that doesn't that doesn't work. There's something missing there. Right. It, yeah. It's not it's not even. And then what if what if someone you. You you know you don't want to show up shows up and pulls up a chair because they've got all side of the table to them. Oh, yeah. You need to get the chairs out of there. Yeah, so right. It's just, yes. So it looks like you're at a like you are a married couple at a wedding. You know, like right, getting right. Or yes. You're the the married the couple that's <laughs> Everyone, getting married and everyone's just everyone's there by. to yeah. watch you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're there to watch them in turn. The problem with a side by side isn't so much. For me, the optics, but when a couple is too feeling themselves, you know what I mean? Go mm. home. 
Don't yeah. be like making out and all touchy under the table. No, this is not the time or place. We were in public. People are trying to eat. There's food literally everywhere. That's to me the problem. Like when you're practically in each other's laps and they're like, oh, we're feeding. It's just, it's obnoxious. Uh, right. I'm not trying to kill your vibe. I'm just saying if you could finish dinner, maybe take dessert home and continue that atmosphere and mode there. But leave it out of the public domain. We don't need it. Yeah. I'm pr- strictly in it for the people watching. But my wife and I both like to be the one facing out so you can see what's happening mm-hmm. in the restaurant or she likes to do the people watching and i i just always want to make sure if a hitman comes in the door they don't get the drop on me so <laughs> that's but yeah it's but what i do either one the only thing don't do it if it's one of those like clearly made for sitting across from one another thing where you like have to pour all your food in a single bowl but I, I say if you're like in a booth or something that could be two people sitting side by side, go with God, you know, that makes sense for sure. All right. Let's talk movies. The The diehard conversation around Christmas movies gets shit on a lot, but I do like watching Die Hard at Christmas. Also, the Lethal Weapons underrated Christmassy movies. No romance plot at the heart of Lethal Weapon. Right. Boo. Well, so I'm no, there's, a bromance. there's a bromance. There is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are Christmas movies. Yes, I, I'm saying, what is the equivalent to you know, Die Hard is a Christmas movie for Valentine's Day? Doesn't need to be about Valentine's Day, but what are like some movies to watch on a date or in around a significant other that like get you in that sort of romantic mi- mind space? I guess. Greg, you want to go? Yeah, uh, okay, I'll throw one out there. What about Little Shop of Horrors? Oh! Pretty good one. Got some romantic songs, Suddenly Seymour. But, you know, it's still got some excessive comic violence, and, and, uh, you know, you're still feeding people to a giant plant, so you got that side of it, but there's still the romantic between Audrey and, and Seymour. Yeah. Also, the sing-along ability. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was gonna say it's got upbeat, like '60s pop tunes in it. Some of your greatest late '80s, early '90s comedic performers in there. There's, yeah. It's class act all the way. That is an excellent Valentine's Day Great selection choice. Joel, hit me. As I've stated before, I'm a perpetually single lass, and so these are a single person's idea of romantic movies. I. My dream is to host a double feature of Phantom Thread and The Lobster. (laughs) (laughs) It is because I think they're hyper romantic movies, but nobody understands. Well, not nobody, but a lot of people don't understand them. Like a lot of people walked out of Phantom Thread being like, what the fuck? Like that's a deeply deranged couple. No, that is a couple who have found each other. Okay, those two people live in a world of billions and found each other and they enjoy the weird ass shit they do to each other. That's love. So romantic. I love the lobster because, (laughs) listen, the world is constantly trying to force relationships on us. It's so aggressive. It's like you're alone and you'll die alone and there'll be no children to take care of you. How awful for you. I really like a movie that challenges what if it's terrible to be in a relationship? What if it's just not fun for me? What if it's awful? Do I still have to do this? Do I still have to harm myself in order to try to be with this person to please other people? Again, deeply romantic, not uh, a couple romantic, but that self-love romance, really asking yourself these questions. Do I even want to be in a relationship in the first place? You should be have a love relationship with yourself. I firmly believe that. And the Lobster invites you to do that. 
So yeah, I think go for the weird romances, uh, really invest in the idea of what does it mean to be in a relationship. And I think if you have found a solid partner and you guys really love each other, you guys will be able to cackle at your friends who are not in happy romances and be like, mm, who does this remind you of, boo? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Wild. The lobster. So the lobster, the premise is that what now? I forget, I forget the premise of the lobster, but it, I remember it's very high concept, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So yes, it's very high concept, but it, I, I don't think it's hard for people to understand. So it's, here's what happens. Single couples get to, or single couples, look at me. Oh God. Okay. Single individuals go to this agency and they're like, hey, I want to find a partner. They're like, we have a great success rate. We have that because if you do not fall in love with the person we pick for you after a week, we're going to turn you into an animal. It can be an animal of your choosing. Don't mm. stress. You want to be a dog? Great. You want to be a lobster? Fine. Your main guy, he wants to be a lobster because lobsters, they hold claws with the people they love and it's very sweet or whatever. Um, and they live forever, right? They live a long yeah, time. Yeah. Well, they live forever, but they do live for a yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. But Unless a long, we eat a long... them on Valentine's Day. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, great choice. Great option. Delicious dinner. out there, Delicious all those dinner. lovers. Yeah, boil <laughs> a lobster alive and hear it scream. Boil two of them alive so they're with their loved one. Yeah, while they're oh. holding hands. Yeah. <laughs> mm, romantic homicide. But yeah, and so then as as the movie progresses, he has to, you know, just am I going to conform and commit to this woman who is cruel beyond measure? Mm. A spoiler alert from a movie from like 2016 or whatever. But uh, she, her, his brother goes to the program, becomes a dog. She kicks him to death so that he can prove that he loves her the most. Super, just awful. And then he has to make some decisions. You know, I'm going to stay here and and be with this person. Am I going to run away with this woman? I think I'm in love with, but I'm still very confused about. Right, it. I only have like a week a... to figure it out. Secret society in the woods, right? That tries to like get out of there. It's a bunch of people who tried to run away, basically, right, and yeah. now they're out in the woods trying not to be turned into animals, but still really desperately seeking love. Oh man, it really mm. laughs at the idea that you have to be in a relationship, and I found find it a very cathartic watch. Phantom nice. Thread is just is so good, so funny, so like an underrated good. funny movie, and very gorgeous, yes. like just gorgeously shot. It's a wonderful rom com that it. Not trying to be, but just happens to fall into that category. And I really appreciate it for its weirdness. Yeah. One of the best times I ever had watching a movie with my wife was Wet Hot American Summer, which if you haven't seen it, not quite as horny as the title makes it sound. (laughs) Not very horny at all. But it's just a it's a very silly comedy that we saw together, not even like early in our relationship. But I was surprised by how much she laughed at it, too. And I was just like, oh, wow, we really are the same person. This is great. And yeah, there's also just beautiful sex scene featuring Bradley Cooper, I think. No. Amazing. Something for everybody. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So anyways, any other movies we want to call out? I think you could also watch... um, any Miyazaki movie to me is mm. a little bit of romance. Howl's Moving Castle is my favorite Miyazaki movie. Timeless, epic romance in there. But I mean, even if you wanted to do something along of like My Neighbor Totoro, which mm-hmm. is much less of a romance movie, but so much about love and heart. Yeah. Oh, gosh, just get swept up in the beauty of the animation and then the sweet and simplicity of his tales is really delightful. Is it weird to be like movies like uh, Moonrise Kingdom and stuff like that where it's like about 
children's romance, but there's like definitely something sweet about that. Like, is that not? If, oh yeah, I. I I don't think so. I think you should totally be able to watch those movies. Uh, there's a philosophy that you are always the person you were. Right. That even mm-hmm. today, yeah. you're still that child inside. So why not, you know, engage your inner child with a person you want to spend the rest of your life with? Come on now. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're not talking about like Lolita here. Uh, that would be a little right. quite. That yeah. would be very weird. <laughs> be so we have to have yeah. Yeah. an actual conversation after that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wally, Ooh. another animated classic. Oh, that's, that's a great one. Pretty, pretty cute and romantic. One of my favorite movies. Mm. Any old movie, like The Shop Around the Corner. Uh, I mean, listen, we said not cliches, but when Harry Met Sally, mm-hmm. it's a top, it's a top movie, guys. It's it's my favorite fall movie. I like watching it in September because it's got those great New York leaf changing scenes. Mm-hmm. We're just walking through the park and everything is orange and golden. But you can literally watch it anytime and why not pop it in on Valentine's Day and get all those old couple stories. Yeah. Realize that your love story is unique and it's good no matter what it is. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I'll throw a Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure she's super receptive to him now that I'm thinking about it, but <laughs> <laughs> but there's the, there there's a there's a parallel to Valentine's Day. In there you somewhere. could go. Um, oh crap! What's Mel Mel's version? Young Frankenstein. Uh, there you go. Pop in Young Frankenstein. Excellent rom com. Yeah. Excellent. There you go. So I need to, to I need to watch that actually. I never I never watched that. Oh, it's great. It's Jack, Jack, you've never seen Young Frankenstein. Joel, I have watched the movie Jaws two thousand times. It didn't leave a lot of a lot of time for other movies. But yeah, I need to watch it. It, it is unacceptable. I'm actually jealous of you. I'm actually right, jealous. That's of what you I'm watching this time. Valentine's Day oh. with my wife. It's a good one. Perfect. <laughs> also, there's this uh, movie that I think influenced Shop Around the Corner a lot called You've Got Mail. If people want to uh, check that one out, isn't that isn't You've got mail based on Shop Around the Corner. Uh, probably the other way around, but yeah. Yeah, no, no. But yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we are. All we're right, together. Right. I got it. Was, what is language? That was my well. bad joke. Uh, all right, Greg, <laughs> such a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really uh, wonderful. Where can people find you, follow you, and join in your campaign? To get people paid a fair wage. Sure, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Greg Hahn. And uh, you should totally follow the Tag Writers Twitter account as well as the uh, Animation Guild Twitter account. And follow the hashtags, hashtag New Deal for Animation and uh, hashtag Pay Animation Writers. Yeah, yeah. And is there a tweet or some other work of social media that you've been enjoying? Sure. Well, I, you know, while we're on it, I will share this one in particular. Joey Clift, I believe he's a friend of the show. Uh, he helped show. put yeah. together a video campaign with, you know, tons of animation workers and and other really talented people speaking out. It features Adam Conover, Phil Lord, Raphael Bob Waxberg, Mara Wilson, LA Council member uh, Nithya Raman, tons of other talented people all saying, hey, pay attention. Let's get a new deal for animation and let's pay animation writers. So yeah, that yeah. is on the tag writers Twitter account. You should totally check it out. Nice. Nithya Raman was the city council representative for my neighborhood. And then they, you know, we've interviewed her here on the show. Yeah. A great leader with very progressive ideals. 
And they were like, we're going to redistrict that. She can't have that much power. And well, like when nobody was looking, changed her district. So real fuck shit in local yeah. L.A. politics. Joelle, such a pleasure having you uh, today and these Thank past you. two weeks. Uh, truly all-star performance. Mm. One, of the, one of the greats. Where can people find you, follow you? Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Zeit Gang. This was fun. I love you all. You're so funny on Twitter. First of all, you can find me. I'm Joel Bonique. You know me. Uh, J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. I usually do that better, but that's fine. <laughs> that was perfect. Tweets I like. Thank you, Jack. Uh, at Dr. Dan Schumacher on Twitter. <laughs> posted a screenshot of North Carolina's online de death certificate request. In there, it says the person listed on the death certificate is... You can check a box, myself or someone else. And Dr. <laughs> Schumacher says, I have a few logistical questions. At <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gabby DVJ tweeted, eavesdropping in the West Village. Everything I wrote failed because it was too sophisticated. And I can relate, random person in the West Village. Mm. No one gets me. Far too sophisticated. And finally, oh, from Reductress, gross, successful interview results in full-time job. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. No Man. vibe. Like eavesdropping on conversations in LA are uh, way way different. Lot, lot Find the of, cafe where all the mm -hmm. writers write and just enjoy. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the occasional uh, life coach comes in and has what? interesting things to say. Okay, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Some tweets I've been enjoying. Robin Lopez, NBA player. <laughs> tweeted, Salvador Dali died in 1989. It's weird to think that he may have seen the movie Predator. Which is... What? <laughs> 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 Great work, Robin. <laughs> and then uh, Osric the Flop at Chris R. Yates tweeted, was reading about the silent film era and thinking about how silly the word talkie is and was then forced to really consider for the first time the word movie and that <laughs> fucked me up because that is where that word comes from is them just being like, it's a picture that that moves. It's a it's a, a movie. dang movie. <laughs> <laughs> Avatar the, the Last Airbender, when they broach like the 20s, calls them movers. And I think it might be a better word. Movers. Yeah. Movers. I'm going to go check out a mover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we footnotes. link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Uh, super producer Justin, what is a song that you think uh, people might enjoy? Uh, well, today, I'm since I think this is the last day I'm going to do this, yeah. I'm going to leave it with a very black song, very black mm. experience when you're listening to this. It kind of reminds me of heading up to uh, my grandfather's barbershop to get my hair cut on Saturday mornings. My dad would always play jazz music in the car on the way up there, and, and it brings me back to that time. Uh, this is a song called Afro Blue. This is an Erica Badu track featuring Fonte and Ninth Wonder. Uh, if you ever heard Robert Glasper Experiment, unbelievable band. Uh, Robert Glasper is the, obviously the leader of that band. Incredible musician. So check this out. It's Afro Blue, uh, Robert Glasper, Erica Badu, Fonte, and Ninth Wonder. And you can find that in the footnotes. 
Amazing. Well, as Justin made reference to, Miles Gray should be back the next episode of the show that you listen to. I think it'll be on this afternoon's trending episode and then on the regular eps going forward. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning. We're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we will talk to y'all then. Bye. Bye. See ya.